Hi, this is Ebody NX, and welcome to The Candid Frame. Well, in the 250 plus interviews that I've done over the past eight years, few episodes have resonated more with people than the in-conversation interviews that I did with Jeffrey Sidoris, the last of which was uh, episode 187. I got more emails and uh, letters regarding that episode than, than uh, any, any of the other shows that I've done, which was really a surprise to me. I've never been one to want to put too much of my own self out in these, in these interviews, but uh, people really kind of resonated with that. And I continue to get reactions, not only to that episode, but to all the other episodes in which I've uh, produced and I've shared with you over, over the last several years. In the last couple of weeks, you know, I've been getting a lot of emails and messages on Facebook and Google Plus with people thanking me for the work that I've done with the show. But few letters move me and touch me as much as the letter that I got recently. When I read it, it um, brought to mind the idea that I wanted to revisit some of the things that I had touched on in those uh, in-conversation interviews. And I thought that this letter really provided me the perfect opportunity to do it. I don't have the benefit of Jeffrey to talk with here, so I'm kind of going to fly solo. But hopefully I'll have enough clarity and I'll make enough sense that hopefully you'll get something from it even though I'm not interviewing uh, someone else about it. So uh, the first thing I want to do is I just want to read this letter that was sent to me and I'm not going to read everything here but I'm just going to read most of it here. I've been listening to The Candid Frame for over a year now and the insight I've gained is priceless. You've been at this for a while, so I admittedly haven't listened to every episode, but 178 stands out the most for me, by far, even amongst all the phenomenal interviews you've conducted. I've had all the same thoughts and feelings as I've delved deeper into photography and life itself, and I was in shock at how accurately you described exactly how I'm feeling at this point in my development. I really appreciate you sharing that with the world and helping me along my path. Every point you made resonated deeply within me, yet above all, this one spoke to me the most. Fear or anxiety is a barometer that tells me I'm going in the right direction. I've heard this a lot lately, which I guess is a good sign since I'm scared to death at what my next move will be. When you spoke about being trapped in a cubicle, that really hit home for me. Currently, I'm a network server administrator working for the U.S. government in Germany. The money's good, but I have this strong, seemingly natural pull to build a lifestyle and business around photography and writing. When I was younger, I stepped away from that path and chose the IT field since it looked more safe and lucrative. Now, it feels as though I'm fighting against my own purpose in life by staying in this system. I love the German culture and raising a family here. I've been here since 2004, but I loathe even the thought of driving to my job daily. Every day I'm surrounded by a mindset that says, you come to work for eight hours, hate life until the weekend, possibly enjoy the years you have left when you're allowed to retire, and that's just the way it is. I know part of that comes from working in a federal government military community, but I can't wrap my mind around simply accepting that 
as normal anymore, at least for me anyway. The body language I see and words I hear from most people every workday remind me that Henry David Thoreau quote, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. What is called resignation is confirmed desperation. Among other things, the government shut down last year due to budget constraints was a stark reminder of how little control one has when working for someone else. My coworkers just took it in stride because, again, that's just the way it is. Something changed in me, though. I think the anger and the helplessness I felt sparked a fire inside. I began to realize that there's so much more to life than a monotonous 9-to-5 where you collect a decent check. As a creative person, that type of structure makes me feel trapped in a way that's hard to describe. My fear comes from the thought of stepping away from the tax umbrella of the U.S. system, applying for a German visa, and building a business here on my own. It's a massive change financially since I have a family to support, but I truly have no desire to live in the U.S. anymore. The fear, I feel, is for that first step. I have this other feeling, however, that ultimately I'll enjoy a much better life in all respects. I always see a sense of peace in those who work for themselves in an area which aligns with who they are as a person. It's the natural order of things, I guess. If I drop dead right now, my government service will not have left a mark on the world. My co-workers would mourn, but the reality is that my position would be refilled and what I've done would be forgotten as people rotate. In contrast, I often think about what made me pick up a camera again after so many years. Aside from capturing moments of my daughter as she'd grown up, I wanted to show my wife how beautiful I thought she was, even when she wouldn't let herself see it. I've been able to show her that, and I've seen a genuine uplift in her self-confidence. There are times when I take a candid portrait of a friend or a stranger and the response they give upon seeing the photo is like I just made their day. I don't believe those situations are accidental. It's love expressed through art. It's a connection with people that transcends language and cultures. That, to me, is leaving my mark on the world. To use this gift of photography to make someone's life a little better even if only for a moment, gives my life more purpose than slaving away in a cubicle. I welcome the fact that I still have quite a bit to learn about photography and business. I continue to take chances, which is going well so far, and pick up knowledge along the way. I even blew my first paid photo assignment, but right in the middle of that stress, I felt a strange mix of painful failure and happiness because I knew it was part of the building process. Failure isn't the end of the world, especially when doing something you love. I refused to charge for the shoot or the bad photos, regrouped, set up a second date, and knocked it out of the park the next time. Anyway, I didn't mean to go on for that long. I hope you're able to bear with me. I just had to get the words out because that episode really got down to the soul. Again, thanks so much for your show and being candid in your own right. Best regards, Chris. So again, I want to thank Chris for for writing that really heartfelt and sincere letter for me because it gave me a lot of room for thought, not least of which reminding me of where I came from. 
because as, as he indicated there, I was working at a at a nine to five. I most of my professional career was working in a cubicle, working in an office, uh, having to do work for someone else, and somehow I made the choice to leave all that behind. And the candid frame is has been part of that process and part of that journey. And working for myself has its own set of challenges. Being a freelancer is rife with perils and anxiety that I never would have imagined when I was working in an office. But on the other side of that, there have been some amazing blessings that I've had as a result of making that choice. And it's a struggle, but it's also probably given me the most gratifying opportunities in my life that I ever would have known or, or imagined for myself. But I wanted to speak on several points here, you know, spurred by Chris's letter here. And one of the first things I wanted to talk about was when he quoted me about that line about fear and anxiety as a barometer that tells me that I'm going in the in the right direction. And, and I'm coming to learn that those feelings of, of anxiety, of fear, of disappointment, they're there all the time. They don't go away. That doesn't necessarily make them a bad thing. For the longest time when I would feel those feelings, I felt like they were bad. I felt that they were reflective of me as as being a failure, as being a loser, as letting myself down, letting my parents down, letting my wife down because I wasn't doing what I felt I should be doing at that particular moment. It was just confirmation of all those faults and flaws that I believed that were inherently inside of me that I could do nothing about. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Those those feelings and anxiety are warning bells. They're things that are telling me that I'm being called to do something different. I'm I'm being called to make a different choice. Even if the problem, you know, that those feelings persist and they egg me on and they don't go away, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with me. It's meaning that I need to make some sort of different choices and different decisions. And, and it can be the, you know, really hard to do because when you're dealing with fear and anxiety, those feelings just grab you by the throat. If you're like me, you just start catastrophizing. You start thinking about those feelings are an indication that the worst possible thing that, that could happen is going to happen. And more often than not, those things don't actually happen. But when I've listened to those feelings and I've, and I've taken a step back, and I really kind of rationalized it and dissected it and going, why am I feeling this way? And understood that it was not about, you know, this worst possible scenario happening to me, but rather that I was in a place, in a state of mind, in a circumstance that was becoming untenable for me, that was being unacceptable. And instead of feeling like I don't know what to do about it, and instead of feeling like I'm a victim of it, I sometimes had the clarity of vision to realize, well, what choice can I make now? What can I do differently, even though I'm feeling this way, that might lead me to something else, something better, an alternative to just being stuck in this mud pit, lamenting the fact that I'm neck deep in in muck and feeling like I have no other alternative but to sink deeper and deeper in there. And sometimes those solutions are are as simple as just me reaching out and grabbing a branch or crying out for help or just reaching for an extended hand that's there. Those feelings are transitory. That feeling of anxiety, those things are temporary. God knows 
the feelings that I had a year ago or two years ago or seven years ago, those feelings that I once thought were so absolute are so much behind me now. I look back and I go, what was I worried about then? Look where I am now. I'm okay. And so those feelings aren't, aren't the, you know, the, the tolling of bells of doom. What they're telling me is like, hey, Ivarian X, something needs to change. Something needs to move. And it's sometimes really hard because you know, I spent a lifetime listening to those, th- those words and those voices in my head and thinking that it was just confirmation of all the worst things about myself. And it's only been in the last several years that I've come to learn that, no, no, it isn't about that. You know, it's God, it's my higher power, it's whatever you want to call it out there telling me, hey, look over here, there's an alternative waiting for you if you're willing to take the step to get in, to go in that direction. When those feelings would come up for me for the longest time, I didn't know what to do with them. I, was, I wasn't trained to learn how to live, live with feelings. I didn't grow up in a family where we sat down and they would ask me, how are you feeling about this? I, I felt like it wasn't safe to admit that I'm anxious, that I'm fearful, that I'm, I'm afraid about failing. I lived my life thinking, if I'm feeling that way and there's a problem, I just got to figure it out myself. I didn't feel like I could trust anyone. I felt like if I admitted to anyone those feelings, that I would be subject to ridicule or scorned or laughed at or, you know, someone saying, you're you're absolute fool for thinking that you can do that. Why don't you just stick to what you know, what you can do well? Don't dream so big. You're not being reasonable. All those things. You know, a few times when I did, I would reach out and I didn't get the reception that I wanted. Well, that just confirmed to me that, you know, you just keep your mouth shut. You just keep this stuff inside. And inevitably what that leads to is just the real forms of destructive behavior. Because like I said, those feelings and those emotions don't go away. So I would try and stuff it down. I'd stuff it down by eating or finding distractions or oversleeping or obsessing about this or that. You know, not acting on it rather than just trying to stuff those feelings down, just trying to ignore them and just waiting for them to go away. Thankfully, I never end up using drugs or alcohol, but I know plenty of people who have. And I I, I suspect that, like me, they, they had and shared some of these very same feelings. And then they found that, you know, drugs and alcohol and sex abuse and all those other things were the means that they were able to cope with those things. And in the many interviews that I've done with with artists over the last eight years and other creative people, I've seen people for who those feelings are still there. Those feelings of anxiety, of self-doubt, of fear are there. But instead of stuffing it down, what they choose to do is they go out and they become creative. They pick up a camera, they pick up clay, they pick up the paintbrushes, they, they dance, they, they, they go out and exercise and they build their, their bodies. They do something that allows all that energy inside to be used in a creative and a powerful form. And I looked at those people for the longest time and I go, God, they're so amazing. They, they must have some unique talent to them that I'm completely missing. And the reality is, We're both working from that same raw material, those emotions, those feelings. Their artistry and my anxiety is coming from the very, very same place. But the only difference is, is that when those feelings come up for me, I would try to stuff them down. And when they experienced it, they would pick up a brush. They would pick up a camera. 
They would go out and sing. They would compose music. They would do something to release that, if not completely control the feelings, but to, to leverage it and use it for something. And over the last several years, I have found myself doing it, not as consistently as some people do. I mean, you know, photographers like, like, like Dan Winters and, and, and others, they're constantly, constantly creating. My cousin John Perello, who's an artist who I interviewed for the show last year, is a perfect example of that. His energy level, I know where it comes from. He, he, he shared with us that he was an addict at one point. And, and being an addict is all about wanting to suppress those feelings, those anxieties, those fears. But where does he put it now? He takes those paints and he works on those canvases and he creates beautiful, beautiful work. Do those anxieties and fears all of a sudden disappear because he's making great art and because he's getting all this acknowledgement and, and praise and, and earning you know, good money for his work? I don't think so. I don't think so. He's still going out there and making the work because that's the way he uses what's coming up in him. And for me, it's like I'm learning that that's what I need to do. I need to be more creative. I need to pick up the camera. And when I do, when I pick up a camera and I go out there walking the streets and I start making pictures, whether it's with an iPhone or whether it's with my DSLR, there's such a freedom and a peace that I have there that's unlike anything I have anywhere else. There, I am able to silence the beast for a while. And I'm able to walk around, and when I'm really good, when I'm in the moment and I'm making the photographs, I, I can't describe it, but it's just like all that anxiety, all that fear, just all of a sudden gets moved aside for a while. And I'm just roaming, and I'm seeing, and I'm just taking in the pleasure of seeing, of discovering, and being able to take virtually nothing, the chaos of the world around me and make something beautiful that people can react to later. And even when I go out there and I come back home and I haven't made a good photograph, I have the satisfaction that I didn't let those feelings get the best of me. I made photographs in it and I may not have a keeper, but I was out there practicing my art, doing what I love, nurturing my soul and getting better, even if I didn't come back with a single photograph knowing that I'm going to look at those photographs, recognize the mistakes I made, and then move forward. And I think it gets to the next point is this, this idea of embracing failure. I think, you know, we procrastinate so much, or I procrastinate so much because I always want to be perfectionist. And I think as I've gotten older, I've always been obsessed about the fact that, that the fact that I'm getting older, I can't afford to make mistakes. I'm not 20 years old. I, I'm not, I don't have the, the luxury of time to, to learn all the things that I need to do in order to sustain a business and to be an artist and be creative. I need to nail this thing right. And that's incredible amount of pressure that I put on myself, which is completely unreasonable. It's completely unreasonable. But when I put that stuff aside and I just go, if I next, just go out there and make the picture. Go out and walk the dog and take a camera and go make some photographs. Get together with some friends and make some photographs. You know, go downtown, go wherever and just spend two hours making photographs. And don't expect to make a great photograph every time you go out there. Expect that you're going to take more bad photographs than good. But go out there and do what you're supposed to do. Do the work. And I go out there and I do the work and sometimes I come away with nothing and sometimes I come away with two shots that I'm really, really happy with. And one of the things that I've learned about photography that I'm learning to, to learn about my life is that 
most of the time, I'm going to be out there doing things I'm not familiar with that are new to me, that are uncomfortable, and I make mistakes and I survive them. You know, as, as a business owner and as a professional, as a podcaster, as a photographer, as all those things, I have made so many mistakes over the last eight years. Some are downright embarrassing. You know, some mistakes I've made, you've heard them when you've listened to some of those early episodes as I was struggling with, with sound and stuff like that. I was a, as I was struggling to find my own voice in terms of an interviewer, you hear my mistakes, you hear my awkwardness. Some of the things you don't see are some of the financial mistakes that I've made. I've, I've made financial mistakes that have cost me thousands of dollars. Thousands of dollars. And all those mistakes I could beat myself up for. And, and, and I'm, I'm learning to just let it go. Because the alternative to not making those mistakes is not having tried at all. And that's not acceptable to me. I don't want to be on my deathbed thinking, God, I wish, I wish, what might have been if I had done this or that. I don't want to be there. I'm going to be 50 years old next year. So I got less days ahead of me than I had behind me. So I have to embrace mistakes. I can't be fearful about making mistakes. Because all I'm doing is delaying the possibility of some wonderful things happening in my life as a result of, of not doing that. And I wish I could say that I have that great positive attitude every day. I don't. I suffer from a mood disorder. And so I've had that on my back for all my life. But it's only recently in adulthood that, you know, I've really come to terms and been diagnosed with the fact that I have that, that I suffer from it. There are some days where that gets the better of me. And I can't do anything. I sit here in front of a computer screen and I can't even read a paragraph of something that's in front of me. Uh, and it can be downright debilitating. It's a struggle and it gets me so angry because so many of the things that I need to do are so simple and can be taken care of within you know, a couple of minutes or a half hour. But when you know, this cloud comes over me, I find it really hard to do even the simplest of things. And it's easy to beat myself up for the fact that, you know, I'm quote unquote, not normal, that my brain is wired, you know, slightly differently. But then I, I, th I take a step back and I look at what I've managed to accomplish despite that. You know, I've managed to write five books. I've created, you know, a couple of DVDs. I've been doing this podcast for eight years. I, I teach you know, at a real prestigious college as an adjunct professor, I write all these magazine articles. I'm doing all these things despite the fact that my brain is sometimes wired very badly or the fact that I've made all these mistakes that I sometimes want to beat myself up for. Despite all these obstacles, despite all these things, I've still managed to accomplish things that a lot of people think are quite amazing. And uh, unfortunately, I'm, I'm kind of the last person to really kind of pat myself on the back and go, man, you've really done a good job because I want to fixate on all the mistakes and all the errors and all that other stuff. But, you know, I think all of us to some extent are, are, are like that. But if I'm able to get the clutter out of the way, I realize that even though I might not have done everything to the best of my ability, I did do them as best I could with what I had at the time. I might do it differently today, but that doesn't mean that I should devalue what I did in the past. 
I can just take what I learned from all that stuff, move forward, and try to improve on everything that I do. There's so many things that I'm trying to do now with the show and with books and all these other things because I have an idea what my life is like. And part of me is terrified at the idea that I'm going to go out there and I'm going to take this big leap and I'm going to fall flat on my face and do it in a very public way because I'll be sharing it on the show. I'll be sharing it on my blog. I'm sharing it on my website saying, hey, this is what I'm going to go for. Join me for the ride. And, and I'm going to throw this big party and, and fearful that nobody's going to bother to show up. And to be quite honest, some of those plans have been delayed because I've been letting those feelings get in my way. I don't want to be that person. You know, I've grown to be a much better man than that. I deserve to treat myself better than that because I'm not the person I was 5, 10, 15 years ago. I'm quite capable of achieving those things if I just take those small steps. When Chris wrote me, you know, he's, he was talking about making that big leap from being in this sort of reliable uh, job where you get a check every couple of weeks, you have medical and you have all those things, and all, all really good reasons to stay right where you are. But to Chris and to everyone else out there who's listening to this, who's been in that place or is in that place, that can't stop you from taking that single step forward. Don't think about that big leap across the chasm you're almost guaranteed to fail. If you see this this big chasm and you think you're just going to take a running leap and, and I'm going to make it by some miracle across to the other side. You know, sometimes it's just taking one step. Taking one step, one small step. If it involves you building a bridge, great. If it, if it involves you going down further down the, the road until you find a bridge or you find somebody with a with a plane or a boat or whatever it is, just do that. But just don't think that just because the solution isn't right in front of you, right there, that it's going to allow you to change your circumstances overnight, that you don't do nothing. Every day you have to do something. And if that means nothing more than having your camera with you every day and making photographs so you can become a better photographer, so be it. But don't make excuses as to why you didn't do anything that day to get you closer to what you want for your life and what you want for your dream. I can't do that. I take I take pictures, you know, practically every day. Sometimes I don't even get out of the house, but I make pictures inside my house. Or when I go walking my dog, I have my camera and I go out walking with my dog. Do I wish I was in something much more exciting and interesting? Yeah, certainly I wish I did have that. But... I'm so busy with so many things that sometimes that's not an option for me. But that, does that but does that mean that not making anything today is going to be acceptable? Increasingly, that's unacceptable to me. That's un, untenable for me. I need to make something. And sometimes I make a wonderful photograph without leaving the house. I walk my dog around the corner and to discover something that I never would have thought I would have seen before, even though I've walked past it thousands and thousands of times. And I guess the last thing that I kind of want to stress is the fact that all of this, all these feelings, all these challenges, all these desires that we have for our lives and for our photography, well, you, you don't do it alone. You don't do it alone. If you're out there right now listening to this and you, and you feel this, this stuff that I'm talking about here, and you're alone in it, you don't have to be that. You don't have to be there. You'd have to be going through this alone because you're not going to make it through a little alone. I haven't made it to where I am 
by myself. I see a lot of photographers that go out there. I'm a self-taught photographer and blah, 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 which I think to some extent, some of that's true. But the reality is, is no one gets anywhere in life without the help of somebody else. Finding somebody who encourages you, not just who tells you, oh, your pictures are wonderful. They're so nice. You know, people who kind of tell you what you like to hear. You know, it's important for, for people. You need people around you who are better than you in terms of their talent, in terms of their business skills, in terms of their ability to sort of negotiate life. And you got to let go of those people and those things that hold you back. Because if all you want to do is just affirm about being miserable and unhappy, there's so many people out there around the coffee machine and the, the water cooler that will confirm that for you and tell you, hey, our boss sucks, our job sucks, or this sucks, and yep. And then you get no much further than that. And for me, those kind of people are toxic. They, they may be well-intentioned, but in my heart of hearts, I don't want to be around those people. It's one of the reasons I started the show, because I get to talk to people and listen to stories and hear people who take all that life has to give them, and they make art, and they make exceptional work. And not only do they make exceptional work and have incredible careers, but sometimes many of those people are able to have family lives, personal lives. It isn't just about the art to the exclusion of everything personal. They live fulfilling, diverse, exciting lives that really honor everything that the universe has offered to them. This show has provided me that in, in ways that you, you can't imagine. When I talk to you guys in this way every, every once in a while, you don't know how much you have made a difference in my life. And I don't mean that lightly. The fact that I have thousands and thousands of people all over the world that every week download my show and they listen to me talk to some photographer about work and that somehow that encourages them and that excites them and makes them passionate and, and about photography and, and in some cases has spurred people to make changes in their lives, that really gratifies me. And it keeps me going because I can't tell you how many times I've sat at this desk looking at this mic and going, I should just stop. I should just give this up. And it's not because anything bad is wrong with the show or it's just sometimes I get in that funk in my head where I just want to just wash my hands of everything and just walk away, which is just that BS garbage that's, you know, that happens in my head every once in a while that I have to sort of move through and get through. But then I get letters like, you know, the one Chris sends me or get emails from people like that. And they tell me, great work. Thank you for what you're doing. It's making a difference in my life. And it makes me realize that regardless of what else I do in my life, whether or not I, I get more recognition for my photography or not, whether or not I get to be, you know, this speaker and this photographer that speaks all over the world, teaching workshops and doing all that stuff, whether any of that stuff happens or not, right now I'm doing something that makes a difference. This show going out there every week, every Sunday to thousands and thousands of people all over the world, this is making a difference. And for that, I'm really, really grateful. And it, and it reminds me that uh, I am capable of more than I probably give myself credit for. 
Because if you look at my setup here, it's not a big studio. You know, it's a pretty simple setup. I don't have all the resources that some of these radio stations have or some of these more, you know, lucrative podcasts have. But even with the limited equipment that I have, I'm able to do something that few other people out there are able to do. No fear and no anxiety and no self-doubt takes that away from me. And I don't know what your path is. I don't know where you're going with your photography or any other creative outlet. But I can almost guarantee you that if you make the choice every day to do a little something for yourself that allows you to follow that dream, it may not result in you ending up where you think you'll be, but it'll get you closer to where you're meant to be. And if you're dissatisfied and you're unhappy, just make that okay because it's only going to be temporary. And then if you do the footwork, if you do the things that are that get you closer to your goal, there are going to be so many surprises, both pleasant and un- unpleasant, that are going to happen. But, the, but you're going to be so gratified because you're going to know that you're moving forward, that you're not just stuck. You know, life is really, really short, and I'm becoming more and more aware of that fact. But I'm hoping that Well, I know that this show is helping me to define what my life path is. And I'm looking forward to the surprises ahead if I can get out of my own way and just do the simple footwork because that's all that's called on me to do. Don't, as I try and tell myself over and over again, don't fixate on the outcome. Don't be worried about what the end result is going to be. Just look at what you have to do today and just do that. Just check that thing off your checklist. It may not result in some big dramatic change tomorrow, but as the days add up and the weeks add up and the months add up and the years add up, something's bound to happen. And the podcast is a, is a direct result of just that behavior. Me just doing just doing the footwork every day, making the mistakes, going out there getting interviews, learning all this stuff about audio, making mistakes, landing, you know, landing flat on my face sometimes. And in the end, I've got something that's bigger than myself. And I think that's ultimately what everybody wants is they want to feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. But to my thinking, in order to become something that's bigger than yourself, you have to start with yourself. And when that happens, you'll have the satisfaction of knowing that you've done it on your own terms rather than somebody else's. And I think that really is one of the most gratifying, satisfying, and most beautiful things that anyone can say about their own lives. So, thanks for listening to me ramble. I hope this resonates with you. Uh, Let me know. You can leave me uh, notes on the website at Squarespace as well as on Facebook and uh, Google Plus, and uh, I'll be glad to get back to you. And uh, we'll be back to our normal set of interviews next week. I got a real exciting one uh, waiting for you next week, so please tune in. And please continue to spread the word on the episode. Uh, share not only this episode, but uh, all the other episodes that you are really uh, are, are your favorites with others on Twitter and Facebook and so on and so forth. And really get to let other people know that we're here and that we're really offering something unique and wonderful. All right, guys. 
Till next time, take care and all the best. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the show. Remember that my latest book, Portraits of Strangers, is available for purchase. And for loyal listeners of the show, you can enjoy 30% off the ebook or any other book or DVD that I've produced, including my first book, Chasing the Light, Improving Your Photography Using Available Light. Click on the link on the show notes and use the promo code PORELLO, that's P as in Paul, E-R-E-L-L-O, to receive your discount. The Candid Frame is brought to you by the generous contributions of listeners just like you, as well as the work of our audio engineer, Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. And our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.